Between school, your friends, and social media, answers are everywhere. But where can you find the truth? Welcome to the Well Student Cast. We're asking for a friend so you don't have to. Welcome to the Well Student Cast. My name is Ka'eo. I'm here with my friend Bryn. What's up, guys? We're back asking a question for a friend so you don't have to. And we have a friend here with we us do. today. Please What's introduce up? yourself. Yes, thank you for that cue. I appreciate it. My name is <laughs> Denny Burke. And What's up, I, Denny? Yes, greetings to you all. And I am from Louisville, Kentucky, where I'm a professor at Boyce College. Oh, that's cool. Yes. I, I also serve as a pastor, a preaching pastor at Kenwood Baptist Church there in Louisville, and then I'm also the president of the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. Let's go. And I'm a father and a husband, so my wife and kiddos are at home. Kids are uh, 16, 14, 12, and 9. That's a big family. Yes. Full house. (laughs) Exactly. But no John Stamos. (laughs) (laughs) How long have you and your wife been married? 22 years. Wow, let's go. Congrats. That's awesome. That's, That's a big deal. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, we have a lot to go through today. Yeah, so, what are we here for today? Yeah, so we got a lot of questions um, because we ha- we recognize that, look, a lot of our students are processing this question about sexuality. What does mm-hmm. the Bible say about it? They're hearing it at their schools, on TikTok. And so mm-hmm. we said, hey, how about we address this question here? And a lot of our friends wrote in uh, as far as questions that they had. Yeah. And we're going to ask because so they don't have to. <laughs> yeah, yes. We have uh, a little bit different than our usual episodes where we kind of hit on one question uh, today we took um, a lot of questions from uh, students who are in the trenches processing this in their own life or how to walk with friends uh, through this topic of biblical sexuality. Um, and I think just before we get started, I think we want to address that our heart in this conversation um, really is because we love uh, our students. We love you guys. Mm-hmm. And I think I want to acknowledge that uh, there's going to be some people who are listening today who are coming to this conversation uh, with an experience of hurt from people uh, approaching this topic in a way that uh, wasn't balancing truth and grace in a loving way. And so our heart here is really just to open up this conversation. Um, and we see you and we need uh, to hear from your experiences and learn from your stories. Uh, but yeah, that's our heart today. Yeah. And also too, just like a warning, if like you're coming to this conversation, hoping that you would gain like ammo to go mm-hmm. ahead and uh, just, you know, essentially only provide truth to your mm-hmm. friends, um, or a way to be like, I am right. Um, I think you are misunderstanding the way even Jesus processed and how mm-hmm. he walked with people. And so Jesus always was more concerned about the heart of people, uh, first and foremost. And it is out of that heart transformation we see change. And so um, we would invite you to pray for your friends versus mm-hmm. being like, here's what I'm going to do to just only uh, attack them instead. And, um, and too, I would just hope that you would just come either way, wherever you land on the spectrum of this, uh, you come with just an open heart and open hands to be like, okay, what does the Bible actually say? Um, and then how do I then communicate mm-hmm. what the Bible says uh, uh, to my friends or even to myself? Yeah. So, yeah, that's good. Well, we want to get right into it. Uh, our first question today, Denny, is going to be, how can I be loving and supportive to peers or friends who are confused or struggling with their sexuality? That's a great question. You know, the first thing I'd say is, is that you need to listen to them. Your friend is going to have a story to tell and you need to know what it is. The proverb says, he who gives an answer before he hears, it's a folly and a shame to him. So you don't want to come into a situation thinking you um, know everything that you could say before you've even heard what the situation is and what the story is. So you may have a friend who is um, an unbeliever, who is you know feeling same-sex attraction, is fully affirming of that, and has a difference of, 
opinion with you. They, they don't believe the, the Bible. And, you know, that, that's going to call for one kind of response versus maybe you've got a friend at church who's struggling with thoughts and desires that um, towards the same sex and they actually don't want them, but they're still feeling them. And that's going to be a totally different conversation. That, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to call for a totally different response. So you may be talking to a friend who is trying to walk with the Lord mm -hmm. and their parents are pushing them in a different direction. Mm -hmm. So you really need to listen to the story. You need to find out where they're coming from. And then you need to encourage them in the Lord and in a way that's consistent with, with Scripture and with, with what the Bible says. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's true. I think a lot of times we uh, jump to our own conclusions or we tend to be like, I know one situation, so therefore I know all the yeah. situations uh, and therefore this works for everybody. Yeah. And then we have to recognize that like every person uh, has a name and they have their own personal experiences. And for us to quickly judge uh, or copy paste cookie cutter our responses, I think we, we lose the part that Jesus had truth and grace. We lose the grace aspect yeah. of that part. Yeah, absolutely. One, one part, one thing I would add to this is that it's really important as a Christian that you understand that the Bible teaches that we're sinners by nature and by choice. Mm. So if you're thinking of sin only as a choice, um, you're missing the point. And that's true with any, any kind of sin. Yeah. But when you're thinking about this issue of sexuality or somebody dealing with same-sex attraction, you need to remember that because um, you don't want to treat somebody like that they necessarily are choosing to feel these these things. Um, you, you're gonna you're gonna find if you're a Christian long enough that you see a Christian brother or sister who's having struggles in this area. They may, may very much say they don't want to feel these things. They don't know why they are. And what's happening is is they're just experiencing one kind of one aspect of what it means to be fallen, yeah. and they're just struggling and they want to struggle well. So uh, you can't. Um, choose your way out of the feelings in, in that sense. And, and, and that really very much is connected to what we believe the Bible says about what it means to, to live in a fallen world, what it means to have a fallen body, what it means to have a fallen nature. You know, all, we, we, are, we are crooked deep down, the Bible says, and that, that goes for all of us. Yes. And we need to understand that um, when we're dealing with brothers and sisters or people even outside the church who are dealing with same-sex attraction. Yeah. Well, and that makes me think of, I mean in any conversation around sin or walking with anyone that's walking through their own struggles, I think uh, we never jump to just behavior modification or just like, just choose a different <laughs> thing. Uh, we walk through like what your heart is towards the Lord and what, uh, I don't know what you're walking through in that realm. Um, and I think even in this question, I interpret this almost also as that there's a fear of entering into conversation with someone who's struggling with their sexuality out of like, I don't want to come across as unloving mm -hmm. and that is the stereotype. And so I think my encouragement for you, this is even something that I'm processing real time is just to acknowledge like, Hey, I'm probably going to say something that's like that's really dumb. Yeah. Or or like, yeah. Uh, and so like have grace for me too, but I want to enter in like, even though I don't know everything around this. So I don't know. That's my encouragement. Yeah. I mean, just to echo kind of what both of you are saying, even in James it says, be quick to listen and slow to speak. And so if we just remember that heart first, I think that helps us understand where we're going for. I think the part that makes me nervous about this question is maybe you think that if you're being supportive, you're uh, like you're accepting of where they're at. 
And I know sometimes our students are like, well, I don't necessarily, I don't agree with what they're doing, but in society today, if I don't agree, if I disagree, that means relationship ends um, for our students. And so recognizing that you can support somebody and still be in disagreement, right, Denny? Oh, absolutely. I had a friend one time some years ago who came out to me mm-hmm. and um, I was, we were at a party together and he says, you know, tells me that he's he's yeah, gay yeah and he, he, and i said well i kind of figured you know i saw social media i kind of you know, but he, he's finally telling me this and um it, our interaction uh, from that point on was fine i didn't yeah. leave the party i didn't you know uh, we we you know hung together still being friendly I, and i think he genuinely thought i was affirming him mm-hmm. um because of because but just because of what my response was i think he was surprised later when he found out my views hadn't changed <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, But but a lot of people think that, you know, just because you disagree with somebody that all of a sudden you're canceling the relationship. Now, I think that happens a lot in the world. So if you do have the wrong views, according to the world standards on sexuality or gender identity, I think you do get canceled. And they do want, you know, to say that you shouldn't be allowed to participate in polite society anymore. Um, But I don't think we can we shouldn't be doing that. Uh, We should be trying to figure out ways to build bridges to all kinds of people who are in all different kinds of situations and who are doing all kinds of things that we disagree with and to, to figure out how to, to see the gospel um, to, to reach them. And you can't do that if you're just burning bridges and burning relationships down. Yeah. That's real. Yeah. And I think even um, this goes like for walking with people through anything. I think uh, we so often jump to like, uh, well, this is so different. And I think I have friends who don't claim the name of Jesus and, uh, I mean, they do things with their boyfriends that I don't agree with. And I, my first question or my first response isn't like, we can't be friends anymore because you do that. Or like now we're, uh, we're not able to be in relationship together or whatever it is. It's like, okay, well, yeah, you're still my friend. Like, let's walk through this or let's, I don't know. That's just not my first response. So yeah, that's true. Yeah. What's our next question? Next question is, uh, where in the Bible does it say what God's design for sexuality is? You know, it's interesting because uh, most people, when they answer that question, they're probably thinking, okay, where does the Bible talk about transgenderism? Or where does the Bible talk about yeah. homosexuality? What are the verses? Mm-hmm. There are verses uh, dealing directly with homosexuality and all of that. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting that the, the, the basis for everything that the Bible teaches on this are actually mm-hmm. not those verses, but what the Bible says at the very beginning in Genesis 1 and 2. So in Genesis 1 and 2 you get the foundation for all those other verses, okay? Because they are just entailments of what we see in Genesis 1 and 2. And what we have in Genesis 1 and 2 are um, examples of what what it was like before sin came into the world, Um, before things got broken, before things were messed up. What did you have? You had um, Adam and Eve in the garden coming together in a covenanted union for life. That's what you had. And so you've got Genesis 1 where it says, um, God made man in his own image. In his own image, he created him. Mm-hmm. Male and female, he created them. Yeah. Genesis 1.27. So you find out at the very beginning that God designed humanity to be in his image, which means we were built to reflect God mm-hmm. on planet Earth. That's what he designed human beings for. He created us equally in his image. It's not just the man who is in God's image. It's the male and the female who are in God's image. They're both created equally designed to reflect him. 
They are also created to rule and subdue the earth, which means God intends for his image bearers to reflect God by reigning over creation and subduing creation and um, causing it to um, work and to flourish, okay? So, so all of that image-bearing is, is what the, the male and the female have in common. But then you also see in that text that there's an accent on difference as well. So these two image-bearers come in two different genres. Yeah. You've got a male genre and a female genre, and they're complementary. They fit together both um, bodily and socially, and so there's a complementary. I don't mean compliment like I'm giving you a compliment. <laughs> yeah. I mean complement like they, they fit together. And, and Yeah, they complete one another. So, um, so you've got this male and female, two different genres of human beings, both image bearers. Um, and then God gives them um, a command, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, rule over it, and subdue it. Being fruitful and multiplying is talking about the procreation of the race of human beings, the race of image bearers. So God intends for his glory to spread over the earth like the waters cover the sea, as, uh, as the prophets say. And so how does that happen? Well, he does it by his image bearers who reflect him, extending his rule over all of the world. And so a key part of that is that little image bearers be multiplying. Yeah right? They're they're procreating. And so what does it take for that? It takes not just a man and not just a woman. It takes a man and a woman coming together. And so this creation, what what theologians call the creation mandate, Mm -hmm. is to be fruitful and multiply. And so that's God's design for sexuality. What was it? One man, one woman in this covenant of marriage for life. And so you get this wide-angle view in Genesis 1, of the creation of male and female in the image of God. Then in Genesis 2, you find out that there's kind of a a close-up view of the initial creation of male and female, and you find out that there was actually an ordering that was there. The man is created first, and then the woman is taken from the man's side. And it says, in Adam, when he sees Eve for the first time, he says, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. In other words, she's a part of me. She corresponds to me, and it's kind of a, a humorous, actually, because he created the animal kingdom first, and it says, when Adam looked at all of them, for Adam no suitable helper was found. Like, I don't fit with any of them. <laughs> and then God puts him to sleep, and then he wakes up, whoa, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, that's who I fit with. And so he realizes that he's completed now. He's able to you know, fulfill this mandate given to him by the Lord, but it has to be done hand in hand with this, with this woman um, that he's going to be married to. And then we, then you get the verse, Moses interjects a little editorial comment in Genesis 2.24 where he says, okay, now given this story, and you see everything that uh, about this first marriage, you see, for this cause, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So um, at the very beginning, we see Adam and Eve in the garden, they become one flesh from the start because Eve is taken from his side. Remember, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. But he says, now every marriage after this one is should be patterned in this way, where it's one man, one woman, coming together as one flesh, but the one flesh union is affected by the sexual bond between a male and a female, and the sexual bond being the procreative act. So you have the consummating act of marriage. So, you know, the question, read it again. Read that question again. Yes. 
This question was, where in the Bible does it say what God's design for sexuality is? That's God's design for sexuality. God's design for sexuality is one man, one woman in a covenanted union for life. So if you know what God made marriage to be, then you have your sexual ethic because everything outside, all sexual activity outside of the covenant of marriage would be... Um, what the Bible labels as sin yeah. and says is outside of God's will. So um, and so all of the other commands that you see in the Bible, the prohibitions, the commands towards purity, they're all based on that original definition of what constitutes uh, a holy matrimonial union. Anything outside of that would be uh, sinful and falling short of God's design. Yeah, I'm glad you walked us through that. I think that's very important. Denny, I'm interested to to hear what you think about like if that's like the original design like Mm -hmm. in your mind like how do we get to where we're currently facing now where like almost like sex is just it is just a thing Mm -hmm. it's just a transactional thing between people or sometimes it's like uh it's like oh it's like for my like sometimes i hear students like well it's just healthy right like it's just isn't it just like for health like um isn't that like i don't i don't don't really understand why it has has to be so sacred um so i'm interested to hear your thoughts especially you know just like I think there's this or this idea that the church is just like policing. Yeah. Who you have? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and you know, for a lot of people, I do think that they think about yeah. sex almost like a recreational activity, mm-hmm. and they don't see any deeper meaning or value to it beyond that. And I, I think sure. there, there's a longer explanation for this. Um, you know, it didn't used to be that way. That that didn't be used to be the prevailing worldview about what it means to be male or female and how they come together uh, as a in a sexual bond. That didn't used to be the way that you know even non-Christian people thought about it. There used to be more of a framework uh, of of an understanding of the meaning of things, but that's just kind of gone away. And and the reason for that is we're living right now in the aftermath of the sexual re- revolution, and um, and so we've had certain technologies that have come along that have underwritten the sexual revolution. And when I say sexual revolution, I mean the things that happened in the 60s and 70s that began to loosen um, sexual coupling from the bond of marriage. Now, that does not to say there was no sexual immorality before the 1960s and 70s. That's obviously not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying was is that there was an understanding in in society that Mm -hmm. sex and marriage went together. That was no longer the case, um, and and the reason was because it, you know with birth control and then where birth control fails you have legal abortion. So birth control early '60s, legal abortion 1970s. Now you have people who are free from the consequences of their own fertility. And what used to make it, you know, if you don't have to worry about children springing forth from these unions, you can be much more freer in sexual unions. And you, and it, right at the same time these technologies come along, you begin to have an ideology which says that, look, sex doesn't really have any intrinsic meaning. It's just something that you do for your own enjoyment. Whatever your sexual feelings are, you should pursue those feelings because whatever you feel is what's right and what's good. And, you know, you should find an identity in your sexual feelings. And your job is to forge that identity in a way that's consistent with you being, you know, um, true to yourself. So you put all of that together and you end up with a whole lot of people um, coming together and treating sex in a totally different way. Now, I would argue it's been 
um, to our overall detriment and harm. You know, even before we talk about the gospel, even before we talk about, you know, what this means spiritually, it's not been good for for men and women. It's I think it's especially not been good for women because I think it 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 puts men and women in this in a whole period of their lives where they're just trying to survive this hookup culture, and you've got um, you know male tendencies sort of dominating everything, which are not uh, good for, for, for women. They just end up getting used and left behind, and you move on. And so it, it's, just, it's just not a good thing. It's, it's actually you know, harmful in the long run, so, which, is, which is just a testimony yeah. to the goodness of God's design. The way good God designed everything is that this most intimate of bonds was designed to consummate a marriage covenant. That once you came together like this, you were entering into a permanent commitment of till death do us part. Meaning, I'm not going to leave you. If I, if something else better comes along, I'm not even going to look there. I'm not going to be, you know, hanging around porn and then coming to you. In other words, a marriage covenant is supposed to, to purify our, our sexual feelings towards godly ends. And that has been totally ripped apart in, in our culture. And it's been a long time coming, but it's kind of where we are right now. But the Bible is yeah. pointing us to the best of human flourishing and what's good for us. It, it's giving us um, how God intends for marriages to be long-lasting, durable, where you grow old together and your kids come around and your grandkids come around. And when they throw the dirt in on you at the end, they say, man. That guy loved his wife. Man, grandma loved her husband. That's that's the long view that a lot of people aren't looking at now because we've just sort of succumbed to the mores of the sexual revolution, which are bringing more sex but not better sex, not the kind that leads to to that rich and full uh, meaning that God well, and means I think, for us. I mean, I love like what you just said. I think one of the things that stands out to me is just this idea that like, this isn't a restrictive thing to just be like, oh, like, can't do that, can't do this, can't do that. Um, but it really is like God's heart to protect us uh, from the pain and hurt that comes from doing things outside of his design. I mean, that's part of my story. And I think um, from learning through those things and from experiencing the grace of the Lord and like getting to kind of see what ways can be better, it really is out of protection and out of love for us, not out of restriction. Yeah. I had, I've had several students be like, uh, just eating over ice cream. This is a safe place, but they'd be like, yeah, like I thought it would be better, mm. but now I feel worse. Mm -hmm. And I, and I wish that, I mean, obviously this just points to me that like then God's way had to have been better. There's a reason why you keep telling me that we should wait is because I'm now feeling like absolute trash and mm -hmm. I'm feeling like I'm feeling the brokenness and the, and the weight of my sin and feeling alone and feeling all the shame. And if, that is not how God designed it. And so mm -hmm. obviously I'm operating outside of that. And I, and I just remember weeping, being like, yeah. yeah, that brokenness, that grief, it's like God's way is better. It's just yeah. sometimes so hard on our own sin, our own brokenness, living in the fallen world, the pressures of, of society um, where we feel like we, oh, well, like, no, this one's better. And, yeah. and I remember the student saying like, it was, it was, it was good for a moment, but the consequences I'm paying mm -hmm. for after is far worse. Yeah. Uh, and I was just like, yeah, I, I grieve with you. And so yeah. if you're listening to this and you're like, okay, my, my story is not what uh, Denny's saying. I've been operating mm -hmm. outside of God's, um, designed for sex and sexuality, I, I would probably just say, I would encourage just one thing. 
um, and that uh, your sin is not too big for Jesus. Yeah. And uh, he already paid that penalty on the cross, and so he's he's asking you to actually come home. It's like mm-hmm. a prodigal son moment. Like, hey, like I'm waiting and I'm running after you. Yeah. And my grace is sufficient for you. And so, and you're not alone, and you're you're mm-hmm. not a monster. But mm-hmm. uh, we have to recognize that that sin Jesus paid for already. And now, what does it look like to repent and turn away from that and walk towards Christ? Uh, Denny, would you have any encouragement for those who maybe be like, "Hey, like I think I'm too far gone in this war- as far as like the topic of sexuality." You know, the Isaiah, the prophet says in Isaiah fifty nine one, "The arm of the Lord is not so short that it can't save." Mm. Um, if you think you're beyond God's reach, you're not right about that. I mean, God can move and change and bring His grace to anyone. And you say, well, you don't know what I've done. God knows yeah. what you've done. You, know, you think about Jesus sitting there at the well with the woman, mm-hmm. and she says to him that, you know, basically, well, she didn't tell him. He had to tell her <laughs> yeah. that she had made herself available sexually to five different men, mm-hmm. five different guys. And, you know, and Jesus tells her that he knows this, and she's like, oh, you must be a prophet. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, you know. But eventually she realizes that, oh, wait, he's more than a prophet. Mm. This is this is the Son of God, the Messiah. And then it says she goes out and she begins bearing witness to how Jesus changed her. And you know what she said? He told me everything that I ever did. Everything He knew everything about me, and what was he doing? He was extending the grace of the gospel to her. That, that was her testimony. He knew everything about me. So Jesus knows everything about you. There's There's nothing that you've done in the dark that's not plain to him. And yet the gospel invitation is for sinners. It's Mm -hmm. for people who who are broken and who have not done the right thing and who've made all the wrong choices. So that's that's who the gospel is designed for. So yeah, if that's you, listen, man, the the church is not a place for people with spotless spiritual pedigrees. Mm -hmm. It's it's a place for people who are sinners and they know it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've, good. I've heard that church is the perfect place for imperfect people. Absolutely. Huh, yeah. yeah. And that's where God meets us. Yeah. So. Um, I think one question that kind of goes along with this note is um, this question that was turned in says, my Christian parents have rejected me because of my sexuality. Does that mean that God doesn't love me? No, it doesn't mean that. No. Um, but I, w- I would want to address, you know, a couple of things in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I, <laughs> In fact, if this answer seems inadequate to you, to whoever mm-hmm. asked that question, just know that I would prefer to be sitting with you in yeah. private yeah. and yeah. to pull the threads of every part of that question. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, for some people, when they write something like that, my Christian parents have rejected me, what that means is they've kicked me out of the house and they don't want to have anything to do with me. Yeah. If Someone is doing that in the name of Christ, I would say that's not right. That's yeah. not the Christian response to mm-hmm. a child who's you know struggling with same-sex attraction or something like that. It Maybe that's what they mean, and maybe that's what they're talking about. But it may be that these Christian parents have just said, you know, we love you, but we believe what the Scripture says yeah. and what God's design is for sexuality, and while we love you, we don't love sin. And because of our love for you, we want to invite you into what God has called you to be as a male or a female and all the implications for your sexuality. This is what it means to follow Christ. 
Now that is not parents rejecting their child. That is, those are parents trying to disciple and to lead their child into the into the way that God would want them to lead that child. So I would want to know who I'm talking to here. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so I I don't know from that question exactly what it is. So I and I so depending on what situation you're in, I would say if you're being rejected in the first way, mm-hmm. I would say that um, you know Jesus says if you follow me. Um, you're not going to give up anything in this world that you won't gain and back and then some mm-hmm. in, in the age to come, which means if you forsake mother, father, sons, whatever, if you lose all of that in this life, you will gain it more in this life and in the age to come, which yeah. means you could have a new family uh, amongst the people of God. So there, there is hope for you. There's community for you. There's a place for you amongst God's people. So you find a good church that believes the Bible and believes the Bible is, believes the gospel is for sinners, and you go to that place and you plug yourself in. Yeah. If you're in that second category, and you just have parents who are trying to lead you into the truth, and you're interpreting that as just being rejected by them, I would say don't um, make affirmation of uh, of sin a condition of love. Mm. Okay, B- because the Bible does not define love as unconditional affirmation. Um, the, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13 that love always rejoices in the truth. The only way for your parents to love you well is to care for you, to talk to you, to listen to you, and then to tell the truth to you, yeah. right? To 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 communicate clearly what the scripture says about what God's design is, what the implications are for your sexuality, what it means to follow Jesus. That doesn't mean they're rejecting you um, because you are not your homosexuality. Mm-hmm. That's not that, that God designed, God determines who you are. He did not design you for that. And so your parents don't have to love that to love you. Yeah. Okay. So, so it depends on what, yeah, we're, you know, who, who we're yeah, talking we're to here. And so, if you're in that situation or this one or somewhere in between, um, you know, I would want to tease that out. But that's the best I can do with a short question. For no, sure. yeah. yeah, and I appreciate yeah. that. And even just playing it out with different examples. And I think um, my heart even just goes out with this question. Um, I don't know, like you, uh, if you're wrestling with this, um, you are welcome in the church too. I think sometimes that question goes along with too, like uh, if I feel rejected by my Christian parents or by other Christians, uh, does that just mean I'm not welcome in the church to even process this with the community of believers? And you are welcome. And I think my encouragement to our listeners who um, might not be wrestling with this particular issue, but I want our church, my heart would be for our church to be a place where people could come and be plugged in like Denny's talking about um, and like not have this be something that's off um, or like not allowed to be processed through. I don't know if that makes sense. But. Yeah, I think absolutely. I think, uh, yeah, I think what I hear you, both of you saying is just like, well, A, like this question I think is way bigger for us to even yeah. have coffee uh, to, I guess, dissect here. Yeah. But what I do hear you saying is like, if that is what you're processing, let's let's enter in. Yeah. Enter into community and bring that into the light and be like, hey, this is what I'm struggling with. And recognize that you'll be met with uh, like wanting people, people who are wanting to listen. Yeah. Um, and pointing in the right direction. I think what I'll hear from Denny is like, uh, people who care for you, they love you too much to leave you where you're mm-hmm. at. And they want you to experience what we experience in, in Christ. And so uh, sometimes I, you know, even I get mad some of my parents are like, I don't think that's the right idea, blah, blah, blah. It's like, you should be doing this. I'm like, oh, what? You hate me. It's like, no, 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 no. 
they love us too much to leave us there. So that's why they're willing to speak the truth. And sometimes the truth does hurt, but it doesn't mean it's at us as our identity, but more out of love. And yeah. so, I mean, God says some really truthful things about us. And sometimes I'm like, I don't want you to expose some of those <laughs> things in my life. And recognizing that like, no, God's doing that because he wants to form me to be, at, uh, to be more like him. Yeah. And that requires sometimes some work. Well, and what like a beautiful invitation. Denny's talking about how our identity is not in our sexuality. Like, that's so awesome. <laughs> I think the fact that our identity is in who God, our creator, defined us as that we see in scripture all throughout our Bible. I mean, like he calls us delighted. Mm. He calls us chosen uh, daughters and sons of the king. I think that is so hopeful that our identity is not in these other things. Yeah, absolutely. We were more than that. And yeah. that's how God designed us. And so, yeah. um, well, with that being said, obviously we can go on forever. Yeah. And there's a lot of questions out there, but I want to just to like, just, you know, Denny, there's, is there anything that you would want to share um, just to some of our students who are listening, or even parents? So just like, you know, a word of encouragement or even just even like, hey, like if you've forgotten anything that I've said mm-hmm. in this whole time, what's one thing that you would probably summarize for our students? Yeah, just... First Timothy chapter one in verse fifteen, where Paul says, um, "Christ came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am the foremost of all." Mm-hmm. Um, so, if you're feeling, if you're struggling with this issue in particular, and you're just thinking, "I'm beyond the reach," you're not. Yeah. Um, Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's why he came, which means he came for you, and you can have him, not because you do all the right things, but because you just receive him by turning from your sin and trusting in Christ. He's already done everything for you by dying on the cross and and raising from the dead. He's done all the work. You just need to do the receiving. Mm. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, Brandon, anything for you? Um, I mean, I think just (laughs) I want to have this conversation with our brothers and sisters face-to-face, kind of like Denny was saying. So I think encouragement is just to enter in and let's start having these conversations um, in our student groups, like in life groups and, um, with our friends and at school, um, in this balance of truth and grace that we talked about today. Yeah, absolutely. Well, with that friends, um, we are so excited that you joined us for, uh, this episode as far as our part, uh, on our podcast. And we can't wait, um, for the next time that you hear from us. And so, uh, we will see you, uh, then. And, uh, with that being said, we're gonna get some food. So we'll catch you guys (laughs) all later. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Well Student Cast. As always, don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends about us. For more information about the Well Student Ministries, visit thewellcommunity.org/students.